Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. This week, Pastor Ben Pitney is continuing the series, Church Was Never Like This, with a message titled, Americans, Politics, and Christ Followers. Join us in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. like this and be together each and every week. I'm just grateful that we can uh, be together. And I know that if you're like me, um, life feels like you're on this little roller coaster ride sometimes. It depends on how much you're watching the news or spending time on Twitter or other things. And so uh, it just seems like our uh, our culture, our life, everything's kind of on a little bit of a roller coaster ride, right? And it's an election year, and then school just keeps moving the goalposts a little bit. And so um, it just, there's uncertainty and all those kinds of things. And so I, uh, I really want to encourage you this morning, though, and I want to continue to try to my best to motivate you and give you confidence. So I know that in... Um, Times when I'm feeling a little uncertain or I get discouraged, you know, it's because of a myriad of other th- of, of things that we're all going through, just having to change the way we work and interact and go to the grocery store, go to church, all these things, um, it gets a little discouraging. So for me, what I recognize pretty consistently is when I know who I'm supposed to be and when I know what I'm supposed to do, I have a lot more confidence and um, I'm, I'm encouraged. So... I, I want to do that today with you, and but I, I, I want to be honest, I changed my message this week three times. And I did. I kind of was wrestling through this, and, and because I've been trying to address this issue, church was never like this. I mean, things are just different. Church is never like this, and the church I grew up in, I mean, goodness, it does not unfold like this ever. So... Um, I'm tired of saying it, just like you're tired of hearing it, talking about unprecedented times and, and things like that. But it is a pretty difficult uh, to, to know, you know, who to believe, who to trust, what's right, what's wrong. I mean, you can do the research, you know, the science, the this and that. And, and, and boy, everybody's got a view, right? The, the scientists, the doctors, the everybody's kind of got a, everybody can kind of manipulate the statistics and the um, all those things, you know, to sort of work to your advantage. So there's no doubt that we are sort of in an environment that is a little difficult. So I, you know, I'm unafraid to really address, um, uh, well, it, it kind of is right in the title of my message today. I'm going to talk about Americans, politics, and Christ followers. Uh, yeah, you guys are, maybe you're excited, maybe you're not excited about that today. I know. Um, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm going to do my best not to wing any of my opinions around. You know, it's kind of hard uh, to, to do what I do and, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I, don't, I don't try to mask my views necessarily. But I want to be careful because, like always, I want to draw the truth out of the text so that you can see clearly. So I just want to do a good job of that and then... I, I really love an- trying to answer this question, what does this have to do with me? 
And so I feel like this, these are good times to do this. But it you know, can create a little bit of tension here and there when you start talking about some of these things. But I think this is right where we're living. And so what I've noticed recently um, in particular is that people um, on, from different political views and different positions are kind of abusing the scripture a little bit to kind of support what you believe or think. And I, I want to be careful that I've seen some scriptures in particular. We're going to address Romans chapter 13 because I feel like people uh, are misunderstanding these verses and not taking into account other things as well. So I thought it's time to kind of go for it. And there's seven verses here that I want to address. But um, I also want to motivate and encourage you because I believe, uh, I mean, I have a vision for Vail Christian Church. Um, I always have, and um, it has been pretty consistent. Our vision statement says, making room in life to connect people to God, to connect people to the Lord, and to connect people to others, in particular other Christ followers. But I also have a vision uh, of the church as a people who are temporary residents. So, so the church, Christ followers, we are temporary residents we are aliens, we are strangers, we are exiles, we are refugees in this world. And I have a vision for, um, for us in light of this. I believe that there is a war for the soul of Americans. I really do. I think it's a war and I think you know that, the, that Satan is working overtime. And he's got, he's, he seems to have really great opportunity <laughs> Right? I believe there's a war for the soul of America, actually. And I believe it's being waged right now in our generation. And I, I believe, too, that there is a, um, the, the window of freedom is beginning to close somewhat. I think you can see that. I don't think that's a secret. And um, I believe people who have freedom are never willing to give that up unless... They are deceived into doing it. So I think there's a lot of deception in our culture, in our world right now, and in our country. And it doesn't help that this is a, an election cycle, and my goodness, we're really divided as a nation. I, I think that the decisions we make now as a nation are going to impact our individual freedoms and our livelihoods for generations to come. I think these are important times to be... Um, saturated in God's word for Christ followers. But I still have, as, as discouraging as it can be, I still have a vision for a satisfied, peaceful, loving people who swear allegiance to a foreign king, by the way, Jesus Christ and no other. A people who live in every nation but whose citizenship is definitely in heaven. I have a vision of the church free from fear and greed because the kingdom that we belong to cannot be shaken. I don't care what kind of things are unleashed because our true home is in heaven. And I see the church as a free people because our minds are not conformed to this world but transformed by the mercies of God. Thank God. 
I've got a, a, a vision of the church whose thinking is shaped by the message coming from the truth of God's word that has set us free. And I believe that the church should have a mind that is single-minded and with a radical allegiance to the king who said, my kingdom is not from this world. So sometimes uh, we, we need to be shaken. Sometimes um, I think we leave the Lord no other choice but to kind of rock our world a little bit to get our attention. Oswald Chambers writes of that in a devotion book that he puts out. He says, sometimes we leave God no other choice because we just won't sit up and pay attention and listen to him. We don't spend enough time in God's word to know what his heart or mind is. And so he wants our utmost for his highest. So I think that... Um, I think that the Lord has, for the most part, has our attention. So we're trying to navigate as best we can through the world that we live in. So we're going to talk about culture, politics, and Christ followers today a little bit. One of the crucial, I think, issues uh, of the church in America today is, will we be American with some religious seasoning or will we be Christ followers with some American seasoning? It's really hard to kind of separate that um, for lots of people. Some people claim that it's very easy. But I think the issue is pretty big because there are many who have not seriously and genuinely asked themselves, am I more American than I am a Christ follower? And it's kind of easy to go down that road, I think, lately. In particular, I think that the election cycle that we're going through is kind of magnifies a lot of things. So I want to be encouraging today, and I want to motivate you, and I want to assure you that we're going to kind of, we're going to draw the truth out of the text today. But, you know, when you see things like um, what is happening, and, and maybe I'm a little more... Um, sensitive to it. Um, I have children that live in Southern California. We talk a lot. And uh, if you are um, uh, a Christ follower and you want to go to church in Southern California, it's pretty difficult right now. Churches are really shut down except for just a, a few ways you can be open. And so I think we're awfully fortunate that we can be open as a church. I believe we should be open as a church. There are lots of churches in Tucson that are still not open. I spend a lot of time talking with pastors. Almost every week I talk with all kinds of pastors across Tucson. We're actually um, in the minority of churches that are open still, and there's various reasons for that. I, I don't, I'm not going to shame anybody. But, you know, maybe you've read um, some of the things going on in California. John MacArthur in particular, his church, Grace Fellowship. I like John MacArthur actually a lot. I don't know that I hold to all of his views, but he basically said, you know, you guys went too far. We shut down for a long time. We've obeyed the government. And then he just said, well, I'm done with that. And he opened up. And I think he has 
pretty solid reasons in a lot of ways, and I think he's in a position because of his notoriety in some ways to kind of chart the way for churches being a little bit more bold. But, you know, there's a piece of me that goes, well, uh, I don't know. It's just hard to find out where the line is in some ways, right? Where my other children are, they can't, the churches are not allowed to be open. And so, you know, that it just depends on where you are across the country. And you're seeing, you know, a lot of divides. So what should we be doing? How should we be living? I think there are a lot of impulses in our society that define us in the world as Americans, and they influence us every day, but they are incompatible with life in Christ and the cross of Christ. We are constantly being shaped by forces in our culture, making it hard for the world to see the difference in our values. And I think we need to stick out, and I think people should be able to see that we are different And uh, I believe that the church and Christ followers should be offering something that people want. People should say, I want what you have. I can't really, I don't completely understand it. I can't completely explain it, but I see that you're different. I want what you've got. Given us the opportunity to talk about that and explain who Jesus is and that he's the one that makes a difference. So we're constantly being shaped I think, by our culture. But if we're ever going to appear to the world as aliens and exiles on the earth, then we're going to have to go back and renew the declaration of allegiance by which we became a Christ follower, specifically by declaring that Jesus is Lord in our lives. And I don't like it, but we're going to have to understand that this is a cultural and political statement. I don't really like it, but it's pretty hard to separate things now, whether you want to or not. It's a radical declaration of independence from our culture and of absolute allegiance to a foreign king, like I said before, Jesus. So today my message is, I I, want to challenge you, I want to call you, so to speak, I want to motivate you. To submit to Jesus Christ alone as king and whatever other submissions to man in government we do, we do it within the limits of the lordship of Christ and always for the sake of his glory. And in addition, I believe that we are called to be others-minded and selfless and sacrificial. So there is balance. So Romans chapter 13, in particular, there's seven verses here that we're going to look at. It's often been used to justify a seemingly conformity to the status quo in this country and in others. And I think people abuse this scripture because I just don't think they completely um, understand it or spend enough time in God's word. And I think we don't spend enough time in God's whole counsel as well. You can't just separate out things and use them to your advantage. You have to take in to consideration the whole counsel of God. So we're going to try to do a little bit of that today. It could be uh, this passage of scripture, I think, can be used to keep the church docile like the Nazi Nazi regime in Germany, um, I think, or to impede the efforts of those in our own land who have worked hard for equal rights for all people. So I want to look at this text in order to see what actually the Apostle Paul was really teaching. Let's just read it together. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. And and I think you'll um, 
I think you'll enjoy walking through this together. There are verses here that I think are not easy to understand. So let's take a look. Romans chapter 13, I want you to read it for yourself. I'd love for you to have your Bible out and walk through these verses with me. So Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except by God's appointment, and the authorities that exist have been instituted by God. So the person who resists such authority resists the ordinances of God. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers cause no fear for good conduct, but for bad. Do you desire not to fear authority? Do good and you will receive its commendation. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be in fear, for it does not bear the sword in vain. It is God's servant to administer retribution on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of the wrath of the authorities, but also because of your conscience. For this reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants devoted to governing. Pay everyone what is owed, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. So Paul's outline here, or sort of his presentation, or you could even say sort of his argument, and the way he lays out his position about these things, has three main steps, so to speak. They build on each other. And step one is found in the second half of verse one. Look at verse one. And then specifically, he says, the authorities that exist have been instituted by God. So in other words, if there is a government, God put it there. God put it in place. And then as you move into verse two, step two is found. So the person who resists such authority resists the ordinances of God. And those who resist will incur judgment. So a person who resists or opposes governing authorities experiences two things. One is that he is really opposing God. That's number one. And then the other is punishment that the authorities dish out to those who oppose them. So to avoid these two experiences, verse 5, look at verse 5, concludes with the step three. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of the wrath of the authorities, but also because of your conscience. So when you summarize what he's laid out here, then, governing authorities are appointed by God, so to oppose them is to oppose God and to incur punishment. So do not oppose them, but be subject to them. Now, I believe this, and I think you should believe this as well. So before we get too much further, then you got to look at a couple of things. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. This is what I believe. Every scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching all the scriptures, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That a person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. So that includes this text, Romans chapter 13. But it also includes 
a lot of other scriptures which don't seem compatible with Romans 13. So that's kind of where the tension is and where we're going to look at. So if we want to honor the whole Bible or the whole counsel of God, all of God's word, we have to ask how Romans 13 fits in with some of the other parts of scripture. Because when you go through um, biblical history, you find quite a bit of civil disobedience. This is really my next point. For example, there's a long and respected tradition of civil disobedience in biblical history, which God not only allows, but he actually praises. If you want to turn to Exodus chapter 1, it's a great example. Exodus chapter 1. It's the second book in the Bible. The Israelites lived under Egypt's rule um, of the Pharaoh for several centuries, actually. They became very numerous. So the king of Egypt commanded the Hebrew midwives to kill all the boy babies born to the Israelites in verse 16. But in verse 17, look what it says. It's pretty amazing. It says, but the midwives feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them. And they let the boys live. And then slip down to verse 20 and 21 because look what, it, what is added there. So God treated the midwives well. And the people multiplied and became very strong in verse 21. And because the midwives feared God, he made households for them. In other words, they're families for them. So it seems clear that these women were not subject to governing authorities. In fact, they saw the command of the king not as a command of God, but contrary to God's commandments and what God's heart was and what God wanted. So they disobeyed the civil authority for God's sake, and God was pleased, actually. There's two other instances found in Daniel. You've read through the book of Daniel, and there's two really famous instances. You want to turn to Daniel. There's a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar. He makes a royal decree that all who heard his music, basically, fall down and worship the golden image of his God, of him. But these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they refuse to obey the decree in chapter 3. So they're thrown into the fiery furnace. You know this story, right? And what happens? God miraculously saves them and puts his stamp of approval on their civil disobedience. It's a pretty amazing story. Then when you keep going in the sixth chapter of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, Darius is the king. He establishes an edict or a decree that for 30 days no one could pray to any god or man other than Darius himself. Now there's a whole story behind that. But in chapter 6 verse 7, Daniel is one of Darius's three supervisors, his main guys, like governors, right? Governors. But in verse 10 in chapter 6, it says, When Daniel realized that a written decree had been issued, he entered his home where the windows in the upper room opened toward Jerusalem. Three times daily he was kneeling and offering prayers and thanks to his God, just as he had been accustomed to do previously. And the result was he's thrown in the lion's den. So we know how that story turns out too. Again, God shows his approval of Daniel's disobedience by saving him from the lions. The same thing is actually found in the New Testament. 
when Peter and John were arrested by Jewish authorities and commanded not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And they answered in Acts chapter 4, verse 19. It says, but Peter and John replied, whether it's right before God to obey you rather than God, you decide. So they went on teaching in public and they were arrested again. The high priest said to them in Acts chapter 5, verse 28, look what he says. He says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name or in this name. Look, you fill, <laughs> this is awesome, you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. All of this makes it very hard to say that the Bible teaches that since all governing authorities is from God, it must therefore be obeyed. Such stories as these make Paul's teaching appear on the surface incredibly sort of short-sighted or naive, so to speak, a little bit. How could Paul say, for example, go back to Romans 13, look at verse 3. How could he say this? Because Paul writes this, for rulers cause no fear for good conduct, but for bad, right? How could he say in verse 3, do you desire not to fear authority? Do good and you will receive its commendation. So if it weren't for some other things that we know about Paul and a lot of his other teaching, other things that he writes, we might think that he lives in sort of an idealistic dream world where good is always rewarded and evil is um, always punished by governing authorities. But we know that's not the way it is, right? Let's go back to this. All, all existing authority is set up by God or established by God, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. Because Paul's brilliant. He's really smart. He gets it. He says, 1 Corinthians 2, 8, None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See, Paul was really, really aware that the death of Jesus was the ultimate breach of justice. That the governing authorities, that the people in charge, the government, did not praise the good and punish the wrong. They did, not, uh, they did just the opposite, actually, in the case of Jesus. And he knew from his own missionary journeys that ruling authorities could be a huge issue to his own ministry. He gets this. So what are we supposed to do with these first five verses, in particular in Romans chapter 13, which call for subjection... Or submissiveness, right, to governing authorities. Is the basic premise wrong? Is it just wrong? Is the Bible wrong or is there, you know, are there actual contradictions here? Are the governing authorities really instituted by God? Is all authority from God or only just governments instituted by God? I mean, what, what, how is this? I would say that given Paul's view of God's sovereign design over history, and he believes in the sovereignty of God, he would not give up this truth under any circumstances. Yes, all authority which exists has been set up by God. So I believe he believes that and he's all about that. The evidence for this outside of Paul's writing is found in Daniel and John. Even though Daniel describes the, the, the 
the doings or the deeds or the actions of very evil kings. He says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, that it is God who, right, he changes the times and seasons. He deposes some kings and establishes others. So he gets rid of who he wants and he establishes others, right? And John says in, uh, in uh, chapter 19, verse 10, he says, So Pilate said, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know I have the authority to release you and to crucify you? Kind of jumped ahead of myself there just a little bit. But it's governing authorities that I'm trying to get at, governing authority that's set and ordained by God, all right? So if Pilate, if Nebuchadnezzar, if Darius were set in their places and given authority by God, even though they did a whole lot of bad things, a whole lot of evil things, a whole lot of destructive things, then we have no reason to deny Paul's assertion that there is no authority except by God's appointment. And so I believe that, Paul believes that, I think that that is true. So what is happening here in, in chapter 13, verse 1? Let's talk about what being subject to governing authority means. What does what, 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 what has to be qualified in verse 3, in other words, in view of what Paul knows about miscarriage of justice in the death of Jesus, he can't have meant it to be an absolute fact with no exceptions when he said in verse 3, for rulers cause no fear for good conduct, but for bad. You understand what he's saying there, right? Don't, uh, do good and you'll receive its commendations. This verse and the next one must have been a general statement of how governments should and often do function. That's how they should and often function. And and a lot of times they do function this way. But Paul simply does not have in view the problem of evil governments. That's That's not the perspective that he's writing from. Instead, he has a few of good government in which doing good deeds, doing good things will generally find approval and doing evil will generally be punished. That's why it's so confusing right now. So if this is right, then it's no longer possible to insist that Christ followers should always be subject to governing authorities. As long as authority punishes only what is evil and praises what is good, submission to God will always conform to the submission of authorities. But if the authorities ever begin to punish the good and reward the bad, as repeatedly happens in church history, and it seems like some of that's going on today, all across our globe, then submission to God will bring us into conflict with the authorities. And that's where the rub is, right? So the command to be subject in verses 1 and verse 5 is not absolute. It depends on whether subjection involves us doing wrong, us doing wrong. The ultimate criteria of right and wrong is not whether a ruling authority commands it, but whether God commands it, whether God commands it. The fact that God has ordained all authority does not mean all authority should be obeyed. I know that sounds a little crazy, but remember that you have to bring balance to this. 
it is right to resist what God has appointed in order to obey what God has commanded. Let me say that again because that begins to make sense. It's right to resist what God has appointed in order to obey what God has commanded. His appointment of Pharaoh, his appointment of Nebuchadnezzar, of Darius, of Pilate, of Adolf Hitler, of Bloody Mary, of Joseph Stalin, of Mao, Testyong, of Saddam Hussein. How about Idi Amin? To name just a few, you could name a bunch. These are people who've committed genocide, killed thousands and millions of people. We'll save our lives and submit to the ruling authority. Will we do that or will we say with Peter, we must obey God rather than men and risk our lives? See, when verse 5 says it's necessary to be in subjection, not only because of the wrath of the authorities, but also because of your conscience, it means we're to be subject in order to avoid wrath. It means the punishment that comes from wrongdoing, not from obedience to Jesus or obedience to Christ Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 4, if you want to turn there, I think it's pretty important. There's two verses. I think it clarifies this issue quite a bit. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 15 and then 16, he says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or a criminal or as a troublemaker. But if you suffer as a Christian... Do not be ashamed, but glorify God that you bear such a name. You hear what he's saying here? In other words, strive to, in, to avoid incurring the wrath or the consequences for wrongdoing, breaking the law, so to speak. But if doing what Christ demands brings wrath, don't have a guilty conscience. Glorify God. Glorify him gladly. I think you can bring this down to what this has to do with me and you really quickly, actually. I want you to think this through. I don't want to be too preachy about this. But you can sum this up in several ways. Think, think about this. Number one, there is no authority except from God. That is fact and good. No authority except from God. The greatest human ruler should humbly confess he's where he is by virtue of God's sovereign appointment. Now, they're not all going to do that. But that's just the way it should be. They're not all going to understand this or know this, but we do and we know. Okay? Now, which leads us to the next thing. Some rules and governments are good and some are bad. Even the American government. Maybe especially in some ways. I don't know. Some reward the right and punish the wrong. Others do the reverse. Most do a little both. Most do a little both. So this is why it's grace sometimes, which leads us to the next one. The demand for subjection is relative, not absolute. It depends on whether the demands of the governing authorities require us to disobey Jesus. And if they do, we will not be subject at that point. But we're going to say, just like Peter said, 
If you suffer as a Christian, if you suffer as a Christ follower, don't be ashamed, but glorify God that you bear such a name. We'll honor God above the state. I just think that probably you need to be careful when that is. I'm awfully grateful, even though I don't think our government in the state of Arizona is perfect or in our city or in Vail or whatever. I feel like they keep moving the goalpost on us. But I'm appreciative right now that pretty much they left it up to the church and our governing authorities to decide what we should do or not do. So... What we've tried really hard to do is be others-minded, to be careful, but I think we should be open. I'm awfully concerned for our teenagers. I think, yeah, I don't know what to think sometimes. I'm just like you. I, I want our teenagers to be able to meet together. I want them to be safe and appropriate. Uh, we're going to do it outside. We're going to open that up pretty soon. I think they really need it. I think parents need us to be helpful in that way. I think we're going to be careful as we can. I'm not sure, though, that we're stopping any virus or at all. I don't think we can do anything really about it. I think it is what it is, and we're, it's like trying to contain the wind. So I feel often like what we're trying to do is manage the consequences of stuff that's happening that we got no control over. So we're trying to do our best. And to be appropriate. But if the demands of the state don't require us to disobey Jesus, like speed limits, like stop signs, income taxes, curfews, building codes, fishing license, and all kinds of other things. Can you think about that? We will be subject, uh, subject for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake, we're going to be obedient. We're going to do what we should do. And I think it's really important to stress that. Just as, you know, there's a, I don't know, I might do it sometime here. Still. Because um, there is an exit over here that we're going to get to use eventually when they're done building those apartments. It's a back gate exit. And it's, it's a great design because you can drive in and drive out. But there's a sign on the roadway out there that says no left turn to come into that exit. It's a law, no left turn. It's a big sign. You know, it's got the arrow and then a round circle around it. And, you know, it's pretty clear, no left turn. Just like when you go down to the, you know, where they build Amazon. There's a place where it says no right turn. But people ignore that all the time. We ignore it all the time. I would confess there's been a time or two I've ignored it myself. I will also confess that Linda, my wife, ignores it all the time. <laughs> I still might do it. I think I'm going to put up a sign, though. I don't know. I'm, still, I'm weighing it. It's going to go right there next to the no left turn sign that says, Jesus is watching. <laughs> There's a reason, because 
I mean, it's, there's a pork chop thing there on purpose because you're going to get run over or you're going to run over somebody. It's not a good thing. There's no decel lane there. That's why you're not supposed to turn left. I know it's inconvenient. I know that why you do it because you, if you turn right, then you got to go way down there and make a U-turn or you got to go the long way. It's just super inconvenient. But it doesn't negate the fact it's a law. And I think it's really important to stress that we got to be careful and 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 obey these laws and be subject for the Lord's sake. Just as we may have to disobey civil authorities for Christ's sake, so all, uh, so all our obedience should be for his sake as well. We never have two masters. All our submission to man is not only limited by the lordship of Christ, it also is an expression of our yielding, our submission to that lordship of Jesus. Every time we say yes to any law, it should be yes to Jesus. If Jesus is that much with us, then my vision, and I'm, I'm a simple person, but my vision for the church is, is being a satisfied, peaceful, loving people who swear allegiance to a foreign king, Jesus Christ, and to no other in the world, then I think it can become a reality. And people will want what we have. But we can't be rebellious and ridiculous. And I know there's a lot of things that are hard to know and understand. I know the lines are gray. I know that the political environment makes it really difficult, and it's hard. I'm struggling as well as anybody. I get it. I don't like the goalposts being moved on me. I don't like anybody telling me what to do just like most people do. But I think we've got to be really careful where this is. Thank goodness I, we, we haven't had to just choose, you know, like, Government saying, nope, can't be open. I'm, I'm so appreciative of that grace that we've been afforded. But this is my prayer for Vail Christian Church, that we be satisfied, peaceful, loving people who swear allegiance to the king, a foreign king, but we also obey and submit to the authorities. And I know that's difficult sometimes. Where's those lines? But you don't need to abuse this scripture. You need to take the whole counsel of God into perspective, right? All of it. All of it. And if we suffer as a Christ follower, we're not going to be ashamed. We're going to glorify God and bear such a name as Christian. It's one of the only places that those, that word is actually used. We're going to wear it gladly. We're going to honor God above the state when we need to. I don't think there's very many of those times yet. Maybe they're coming. I don't know. We still live in a really great country that has a lot of freedom. We're still able to do a lot of things. Let's just make sure that we're living in such a way that people want what we have. Father, thank you um, that we do have these freedoms. You've blessed us in such rich ways. You have cared over us and provided for us and heaped grace and mercy on us. You've trusted us with lots of children and young people and young families. You've given us so many things. We want to be a good steward want to be obedient, we want to be smart and wise, we want to be careful. I'm certain we're going to make mistakes. We're flawed and 
sinful. Lord God, uh, shake us when we need it. Please keep us tracking the right way. Encourage all of our hearts as we navigate the craziness in our world. Praying, God, for our families and our teenagers and, uh, and people that are having to do school and work and shop and navigate just really differently. Encourage us, motivate us, stretch us, cause us to grow. We'll be careful to heap the glory on you, not us, Lord. Less of us and more of you. Help us to be others-minded and balanced, fully mature Christ followers. Help us to know, Lord, where, this, where we should drive a stake in the ground. Thank you for the freedoms that we have, but mostly, Lord God, thank you for the freedom that we have because of your son, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a really good day, you guys. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.